0: This 141st day of 2022 also has the distinction of being National Waitstaff Day, and in this time of college and university graduations, my thoughts are with those people who bring food and drink to celebrations all over the globe. For most of my career in journalism, I supplemented that work by being attentive, detail-oriented, and as accurate as possible, as I have served customers and clients. That experience really isn't that much different from any of the work that goes into every single installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, and I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, time is running out to tell Albemarle County your thoughts on the growth management policy that some would say has limited sprawl and others would say has limited development. A search for police chief in Charlottesville kicks off. Another land-use lawsuit has been filed against the city of Charlottesville, and the spring COVID surge continues with cases rising in Virginia and beyond. In today's writer-and-publisher-supported shout-out, Town Crier Productions is the umbrella organization responsible for this Charlottesville community engagement program. I founded the company two years ago to support my interest, In bringing the community as much information as possible about local government, land use, the environment, economic development, and so much more. The company is still just getting started, and if you'd like to help, consider a subscription through Substack or support Town Crier Productions through Patreon. There are also other sponsorship opportunities available as the number of offerings increases. To learn more, visit the Information Charlottesville Archive at infoseville.com and click on the Support the Info tab. My sincere thank you to the hundreds of subscribers who have signed on so far. Please tell your friends and family and business coworkers all about Town Crier Productions and Charlottesville community engagement. On Friday, the Virginia Department of Health reported another 3,847 cases in the Commonwealth, bringing the seven-day average of new cases to 3,157. The seven-day percent positivity rate increased to 15.6 percent, up from 9.1 percent three weeks ago. Nationwide, the trend is toward more cases and more hospitalizations, according to the Centers for Disease Control's COVID dashboard. That tool also shows a trend toward fewer deaths per day, with 242 a day reported on Thursday night. That could change as death is a lagging indicator, as explained by Dr. Kosti Safri, the Director of Hospital Epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System as we see the um, this this summer surge start to move out of the northeast, which is a highly vaccinated and COVID experienced population to other parts of the country. So, you know, if we we have concern, I think, um, in in the public health community that um, that that maybe what we've seen so far may not hold true or hold as true um, as um, the surge moves down to the southeast. This week, the Blue Ridge Health District discontinued its local dashboard for COVID data from within its boundaries. This follows the Virginia Department of Health's retirement of four dashboards this week. Here's a section from a newsletter from the Blue Ridge Health District. The CDC dashboard is considered the standard when it comes to cases by vaccination status, as the definition of vaccination status is rapidly changing nationwide. You can find local data on the VDH dashboard by selecting the appropriate geographic region on the cases tab. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Children between the age of 5 and 11 are now eligible for boosters of the Pfizer vaccine. Appointments in the Blue Ridge Health District can be made online. Read the release on the Centers for Disease Control's website. For more information, there's a link, where else, in the newsletter. There will be a community remembrance on Tuesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. at the Outdoor Amphitheater at Centara Martha Jefferson Hospital, for those who have died from COVID-19, it will be hosted by area health care providers. There's a link to the Facebook event in the newsletter. Nearly 10 months since former Charlottesville Police Chief Rochelle Brackney was fired by former City Manager Chip Boyles, the city is seeking a permanent replacement. On Friday, the city issued a request for proposals for a firm to conduct an executive search. Here's a section from the request for proposals. The city is seeking a consultant to assist the city manager through the process of hiring a new chief of police who embodies the principles of 21st century policing and has an anti-racist focus. As part of the work, the selected firm will also seek community input on what the desired characteristics and qualifications for such a person would be. The solicitation states this will include a survey and in-person meetings. The firm will also be responsible for conducting background checks on all of the finalists. The chief of police is hired by and reports to the city manager, but upon hire will be officially confirmed by the city council. The department is currently being led by acting police chief LaTroy Durrette. The city is being run by interim city manager Michael C. Rogers. The closing date for the executive search firm to respond to the requests for proposals is June 15th. A person who lives on property on Stribling Avenue has filed suit against the Charlottesville City Council, seeking declaratory judgment that the rezoning of 240 Stribling Avenue in April was illegal. Here's paragraph 8 of the suit, which was filed on May 18th. During the planning commission and council meetings, the large amount of tax revenue to be gained from increasing the density was discussed as the primary reason for backing this ordinance. City Council approved the rezoning on April 18th, which will allow up to 170 units on about 12 acres in the Frye Spring neighborhood. The plaintiff is Cabell Marshall, who is representing herself in the matter. The suit states that Marshall occupies a house across from 240 Stribling, but does not specify which one until the signature at the end of the document. Much of the complaint repeats testimony made by opponents of the project, such as increased exhaust fumes and additional traffic. The suit also argues that an agreement between the city and Southern Development to pay for the upfront costs of upgrading Stribling Avenue is also invalid. Here's paragraph 13. Many neighbors on Stribling Avenue felt overwhelmed by Charlie Armstrong's seemingly unfair advantage in getting advanced encouragement directly from the city. Virginia Code Section 2.3-3103 prohibits a city employee or someone in an advisory agency from using for his own benefit or that another party confidential information that he has acquired by reason of his public position and which is not available to the public. The complaint also argues that the public hearing was invalid because it was held while council meetings were still remote. There's also an argument that the city has not done enough to upgrade city streets, such as the intersection of Stribling Avenue and Jefferson Park Avenue. If this makes it to a hearing, one of the first legal questions will be whether Marshall has the legal standing to bring the suit forward. The owner of the house where she lives is John C. Marshall, who is not named in the suit as a party, and he owns two other properties on Stribling Avenue, as well as three other houses inside of city limits. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for two quick shout outs. Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with tech, data, design, and research skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on projects with the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Charlottesville Fire Department, and the Charlottesville Office of Human Rights. Visit codeforseville.org to learn more about those projects. And the final comes from another Patreon supporter who wants you to go out and read a local news story written by a local journalist. Whether that be The Daily Progress, Charlottesville Tomorrow, The Crows Gazette, Seville Weekly, NBC 29, CBS 19, Charlottesville Inclusive Media, WINA, or some other place I haven't mentioned, the community depends on a network of people writing about the community. Go learn about this place today. One more story today. Like many localities across Virginia's 5th District, including Nelson County and Danville, Albemarle County is currently reviewing its comprehensive plan. State law requires localities to prepare such plans and update them on a periodic basis. Albemarle is reviewing its plan in a four-phase process, and the first phase will take a look at the county's growth management policy. A survey for input closes on Sunday at midnight. Here's a section from the first part of a story map that seeks to explain the history of the growth management policy. The current plan directs new residential, commercial, retail, office, and industrial development into the development areas. The rural area is intended to be used for agriculture, natural resource protection, and some residential homes. The development area is roughly 5% of the county's 726 square miles. Albemarle's first comprehensive plan was adopted in 1971 and originally envisioned a much larger development area. This was at a time when Charlottesville still had the ability to annex county land if the city could prove to a judge that the municipality would be able to provide urban services more efficiently. However, subsequent plans reduced the growth area due to concerns with siltation at the South Fork Rivanna Reservoir, which opened in 1967. Several villages have been removed from the plan, such as the ones in Earliesville, Ivy, North Garden, and Stony Point. In the early 1990s, four areas were added, including the village of Rivanna, the North Fork Research Park, and what is now being developed as North Point. For the full history of the growth management policy, read part two of the story map. It's well worth a read as the county considers changes. Here's a section from part two. With an evaluation of the county's growth management policy, perhaps one of the most important factors to consider is how the policy is impacting the well-being of county residents and whether the policy is leading to equitable outcomes across different geographies within the county, such as residents in the rural area compared to residents in development areas or across different demographic groups such as age and race. The survey will close on Sunday night. There's a link to it in the newsletter. And that's it for this Saturday Slimmed Down edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement for another hot, lovely day outside. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I want to get to producing this so I can get to the week ahead and the 5th District Government Glance, which I am hoping to get out tomorrow. Uh, if you enjoyed this program, please send it on to somebody else. Let's continue to try to grow the audience. If you have feedback, please drop me a line. I'm fairly reachable Uh, try not don't use the phone though uh, because usually you know unless you have to tell me about a warranty that I that uh, that I worry about I worry about that warranty so please call me about the warranty don't call me about the warranty or anything else but you can send me an email please and of course I'd love to hear what you have to say If you'd like to support the program financially, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's Patreon and there's also Substack. If you subscribe through Substack, the company Ting will match your initial payment. Uh, There is a lot more to go on Charlottesville Community Engagement. This is episode 383, I believe. And of course, um, I'm hoping to continue and, uh, you know, we'll see if we ever make it to 838 because... uh, why not have a, have a goal? Uh, I am Sean Tubbs. Thank you again for listening. It is Saturday. Stay out of the heat if you can today. And if you are in the heat, stay hydrated. Uh, thanks for listening and goodbye.